0: Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez. The podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez. My guest today is Laura Tolhook. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to this conversation. We've had a lot of episodes around hiring, firing, all of that process, the whole employee life cycle. But I've never had a deep dive on how to coach and develop employees. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Because what we need to learn is how to effectively provide that ongoing coaching and development for our staff to maintain that high performance and to retain employees. I know I have found that that's critical to employer retention is how are you providing ongoing training, development, and coaching so in this episode, we're going to learn some actionable tips and advice on how to coach an employee from this conversation that we're about to have with Laura Tolhook. To receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes page, and to schedule a free coaching consultation with me, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996. Laura Tollhook, let me tell you more about her. She's an experienced human resources professional and the owner of Essential HR. Essential HR works with small businesses to help them implement HR strategies that attract and retain the best talent. For over 15 years, Laura has used sound HR practices with a pragmatic approach to improve business performance. She has worked with some of the biggest players in the restaurant, food service, and retail world as an in- integral member of of their HR teams. Laura is a certified human resource leader through the Human Resources Professional Association. She enjoyed a, a very successful career in the corporate HR world before she launched her own business. So we're going to chat about that as well. Laura lives in St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada, which is near Niagara Falls. And so once again, Laura Tolhook, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so excited to be here.
0: Absolutely. Looking forward to this conversation. I'm curious though, how did you end up to live in St. Catharines?
1: Well, I'm born and raised in St. Catharines, moved Ah. closer to the Toronto area for school and for work, and then came back to um, the Niagara region here just outside of Niagara Falls uh, to build my business. And that's where our family is.
0: Wow. That's that's interesting. Let's talk about your journey because that's always interesting to me, especially because... I mean, you took this focus in HR, but then you had a long corporate career. But I'm curious, what initially uh, got you on the whole HR track? What what was it about HR? And it looks like from early on, that was your focus. Why?
1: Yeah. So I grew up in a family. My father is a small business owner. Uh, So he has, at this time, about 30 employees. So I watched that journey from when, you know, essentially I was born and it was two of them to about 30 to 40 people now. And so I always had this knack for watching business and I was always intrigued by the, the, just the sheer determination and the adaptability that small business owners needed. Uh, so when I went into university, I went into business communications. And one of the streams of business communications, they said, you know, you can kind of go into PR or you can go to HR. And I thought, you know, in, in your wisdom, in your late teens and university years, I, thought, I like people. I'll, I'll go into HR. <laughs> Uh, And what I quickly learned in HR is, man, people are tough. (laughs) So, but I also really, really liked being that intermediary between, you know, management and the employees to help build those teams and help people see, you know, two sides of the coin. Uh, I used to be very, very black and white, um, but I've learned that, you know, a lot of the world is gray and decisions are very gray. And that communication is the important part of making sure All people see, you know, at least a little bit of the other side.
0: Yeah. And that's got to be, you know, you hit on why this has got to be such a challenge for so many small business owners. It's because it's not black and white. It's not obvious. It's not always the same. We're talking about individuals and personalities and managing, you know, and especially if you're managing, you know, I always looked at it as managing talent. Everybody has a a unique perspective. And that's not easy for us sometimes as business owners.
1: No, definitely not. And, each person has a different perspective on the same right. thing. So you can't right. manage person A, this is the way that you manage person B. And why is person C doing this when I did the exact same thing as person A? Right. It, it can be very frustrating.
0: So did you envision at that point after you finished your studies that you would start your own business at some point? You had the influence from your father or tell me about that. Why did you decide to go into the corporate world?
1: Yeah, after university, I did not think I would be starting my own business. And I'll be honest, the, the main reason was, I watched how tough it is for business owners and entrepreneurs and I thought, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm good going into the corporate world and just letting somebody else have that, uh, that on their shoulders. So I started off in a few fantastic companies in retail, hospitality, uh, and then after the birth of my first daughter, when I was on maternity leave, I started reading a few books that I picked up um, about HR consulting. And it was at that time, I was also reading, you know, the success principles by Jack Canfield and kind of just dreaming along and, and uh, I kind of put it aside for a few years. But then after the birth of my second son, all of a sudden I was in um, a meeting one day for I picked up a multi-level marketing type of gig while I was on maternity leave just to enjoy my maternity leave and keep myself busy. And I was in a meeting that they were hosting and, it, you know, as a multi-level marketing often is, it's very encouraging. It's very inspiring. It's very rah-rah. And as they were talking about all this encouragement and inspiration, rah-rah, I said, yes, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to start my own essential HR business which everybody else was just starting their own multi-level marketing business. Right. I was like, no, 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 this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm meant to do. And so that was about six months into our uh, one year maternity leave that we have here in Canada. Right. And as soon as that button kind of was pushed and it was kind of flicked on in my head, um, I couldn't stop myself.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so what, what was it? Do you recall? What was it that you heard or what was it that clicked for you? That said, okay, I, I have to go do this. It sounds like just you heard or felt something yeah. that made it something you had to do. Do you recall what it was?
1: It was just, I think, a mixture of the the balance of freedom that you can have um, and not being tied to the nine to five. Uh, I, I anybody with a family can understand that you you feel like you miss out a lot on things when you're tied to that nine to five, even things like, you know, having to take a vacation day to go on a a class field trip um, or having to figure out, you know, what to do on the vacations of the daycare. There's a lot of things that I like this, it just wasn't jiving with how I envisioned our life being. And I wanted to be an excellent mom and I wanted to be an excellent wife, um, but I also loved what I do. And so I didn't, I wasn't comfortable giving up any of those items. And so the concept of the freedom and the flexibility and the balance, along with the challenge that comes with, you know, building your own business, I think it all just clicked and it was, you know, engines were running.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. Okay. So within that maternity leave, then uh, how long then before you launched? Did you not go back to your job at the end of the leave? Tell me about that transition.
1: So I had already planned on taking a few months additional as unpaid uh, at the end, just to get through summer. And so the concept of you know not having an income for three months um, after the maternity leave, what wasn't new. So I had about an eight month run of where I knew what my financials would look like. I had expected you know, this amount of money. And, and so I knew in September, that was when I had to really figure out how are we gonna make this work. So it took a because, little bit- Because,
0: uh, just I'm trying to interrupt you. You're, yep. You were on paid leave, right? Is that the way it works in yeah. Canada during that so whole we, time? We and get then about- you, had, you had already financially planned for another three months. And so you knew you had that financial stability, right? Yes,
1: yeah, so our, our maternity leaves in Canada is actually 50. It's about 50% of your salary. 50% of your salary. Paid.
0: Okay, yeah. got it. Thanks for clarifying.
1: So I picked up a small business loan uh, to help as well with the transition because I knew there were some non-negotiables I wanted in place for when I hit the launch button. And, so right. did
0: you put together any kind of a plan, a business plan? What did the bank require from you to get that loan?
1: Yeah, I had to do a business plan, a full um, profit expectation, revenue expectation plan. Um, which, you know, when you're starting a new business and you're projecting your own revenue, when I look back at it, it's quite humorous, actually, <laughs> what I thought I was going to be doing. Um, but had to put all that together, which was a great way of really wrapping my head around what is it that I want to do and what is it that I want to offer.
0: Right. Why did the bank lend you the money, do you think?
1: So I went through an organization called Futurepreneur, uh, I, I don't know if it's in the States, but it's up here in Canada. And what it does is it provides small business loans through um, the Business Development Bank of Canada. And I think the reason was because in this business, for the most part, expenses are quite low. Uh, if you're a solopreneur, you don't really have a lot of overhead in, in that sense. So I think the risk for somebody like me was actually quite low for them to give that, that small business loan to.
0: You had um, good credit, excellent credit. Was that a, a component of them deciding to lend you money?
1: I'm sure it was. Yeah, I I'm pretty sure I have excellent credit. No one's told me any differently.
0: So. <laughs> good. All right. So you had that eight months. So how much of that time did you use? And then, like, when did you open the doors for business?
1: So friends and family started knocking. About three or four months in, uh, the first client I had was a friend of mine. She's like, I know you're not really started yet, but could you help me out with this? And then another family friend said, I really need your help with this recruitment project. And, and so the business just kind of started trickling in. And I thought, this is fantastic. That's great. When September hits, it's just going to be floodgates. <laughs> and then September hit, and I was sitting in front of my computer wondering what I was going to do next because the floodgates did not open.
0: <laughs> well, that that's a very classic scenario. So I'm glad you shared that, Laura, because a lot of times we tap into those, that low-hanging fruit, as we call it yes. sometimes, and then then it dries up. So
1: September, I started having to think, well, what is marketing all about? What, what does this look like for us? And... Slowly in October, I started, you know, doing some more reach out and finding ways that marketing was working for my business uh, and then got more clients and it's just started building gradually from there.
0: How long more or less before you got to a point where you were making as much as you were making in your in your job?
1: I would say about six to eight months.
0: Okay. And you felt, do you feel like you had with that loan and whatever the money you put in, you had enough working capital to get you through that? Or did you have to put in more money at some point?
1: There was a lot of times that I did not take a salary and it was just working off the loans or trying to, you know, get those expenses under control because I somehow had a lot of startup expenses for being a a solopreneur. But eventually I would say I learned how to take a salary and I learned how to control the expenses.
0: Those those startup expenses you weren't expecting, um, you know, a lot of times what happens is we get excited and we buy the new desk and the new computer and the new this and new that. Was that part of it or was it just stuff you just didn't project that was going to be required?
1: That was definitely part of it. There was also insurance and there was fees for the apps I was using and there was bank um, fees and there was interest on the loans and there was just, oh, there was the time that my my son dropped my laptop and I needed to buy a (laughs) new one of those. So there was just things that came up that I wasn't expecting. Uh, I think as a solopreneur, you think, yeah, I can go bare bones and, and that's it. But then if you start getting into the mindset that, oh, I need this to make sure I look legitimate and I need this to make sure I look legitimate, it can snowball pretty quickly.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. The money goes really fast. And then also we underestimate, I find a lot of people underestimate how long it's gonna take to ramp up, how long I need to subsidize without having any money come in. Is the spouse's salary gonna be enough? Do we have enough savings? We underestimate that because we're so excited with getting started that we don't look far enough out. But it sounds like you had a good balance of that and were able to get to a point where you you got to enough clients, yes?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again, the spouse's income does certainly help in that as well.
0: Yeah. Looking back at it now, would you have launched earlier in your life?
1: You know what? I don't think so. I think the timing was perfect for what we needed as a family and what I needed as a, uh, you know, as a professional. And I was very concerned i for the first time I started reading the HR consulting books that I wanted to have enough experience in the many facets of HR. Uh, because as you you know, there's a lot of different areas of HR and when, When you call yourself an HR consultant, people want to make sure that you can really understand most of those, whether it's compensation, benefits, recruitment, performance management, uh, employee relations. There's a lot of different areas to go into. And some HR professionals actually only know one or two of those really, really well. Mm -hmm. But as a consultant, you have to know all of them pretty darn good. So I was very concerned that I didn't see enough and that I didn't, I wasn't involved in enough investigations. I was involved in a lot of investigations, but was it, was it enough? Was there going to be one that came up that stumped
0: me? Um, but do you think, because sometimes we do, Laura, tend to hide behind that as an excuse for not getting launched.
1: <laughs> I would say you're a hundred percent correct in that. <laughs> because but nonetheless- Yeah. Yeah, If there was a chance that something was going to stump me, it's going to still stump me.
0: Right. Exactly. (laughs) You find out that you'd never know it all. Right. But nonetheless, there's also this component of, I believe we're ready when we're ready and you, and everybody's ready at a different point in their life. And I think you maybe needed that, that catalyst, that moment that you had in that, in that multi-level marketing meeting for it to click for you.
1: Agreed. Yeah.
0: Okay. um, Now that you've been doing this for some time, what, what do you say you benefit from the most? What do you enjoy the most about being your own boss?
1: It has to be the flexibility. I'm, I don't know if I could go back to a regular you know, nine to five. When I started the business, I thought, if I'm gonna be working 60 hours a week, it's gonna be for me. And I, and I don't wanna work 60 hours a week. So I would say it's definitely being able to walk my daughter to school in the morning and walk her home from school. Or being able to say, you know what, I can go for lunch with a friend or with, you know, a family member. It's that balance and not having to, as long as I have what I need to get done, uh, not having to have that calling into somebody or, and I guess at the end of the day, that was also a learning experience because as much as I was looking for balance with this, with this business, I got so busy that I forgot about the balance. I forgot what was really one of the driving forces of me wanting to start this business, which you know, was to be able to say yes to those things that were important, like friends and family, even to the point where I think COVID really helped me slow down mm,
0: to see what
1: those priorities were.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think it's done that to a lot of us. But yeah, very well said. So much of that resonates for me as exactly what motivates and what I get out of being a business owner. Uh, How old are your kids now? If you don't mind my asking.
1: They're three and seven.
0: Okay. So have you given any thought to, because you mentioned at the start of the conversation that having observed your father and the the challenges of being a business owner, that that may be put that off for you. What I have found, uh, I've done a lot of thought of this and reading on this is what happens is that we tend to bring home only the negative, right? Talking Mm -hmm. about this issue or this lawsuit or this problem, client or customer and our kids, then that's all they hear. And they're like, I don't want any part of that. Have you thought about that? The the conscious kind of what you say and how you react to the business at home?
1: Yeah, for sure. The example I have is my daughter, Meant, said to me about a year ago, she said, Mommy, you're always working. And I thought to myself, What, what a s- strange thing! Because my whole goal was to be able to spend more time with her. But when she comes home, I'm on the computer. When she goes to school, I'm, I'm going to do meetings or going into work uh, to a client. And so in her mind, I'm always working, but she doesn't understand the benefit of the fact that, you know, most people who have. Businesses might not be home at three o'clock to welcome you home. Uh, who might have to put you in after-school care all the time? And so I'm learning little by little how to show her the benefits of what I do. But even more importantly, is showing her how much I love what I do.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. And I and I assure you, she will realize the benefits later. You know, we went through the same thing. My daughter now is graduated from university, but we talk about it all the time. So I think you've you've articulated it very well. So thanks for sharing that. All right. Let's dive into it, Laura. Let's talk about tapping into some of that vast experience <laughs> you have <laughs> and how you help small business owners now on this topic of developing and coaching employees. So you know for my businesses, I we're very focused on making sure that that on-ramp, that onboarding rather, is thorough, that we have a thorough training program, that we teach them how to do the job, especially when it comes to retail type jobs that we're not, we're not putting it on our customers to train our employees. Right. So we do that very well, but where I find it that uh, people kind of drop the ball in small businesses, they think that after that initial training, the job is done. And a lot of us, I just don't think we're great at coaching. I don't know that, that any of us are. I think we have to develop that school. So let's start at a high level from this concept of developing an employee development program. And what are the components that make for a good employee development program from your perspective?
1: So there can be a lot of frou fru things in HR and people are always coming up with new ideas and ways of doing things. And that's fantastic, I I love innovation. At the basic level of it, the most important aspect of an an effective employee development program is communication. So you can have the best system in the world, but if it's not actually being implemented, if your people are not having those one-on-one conversations, if the team members are not feeling like they are known as individuals, then it doesn't matter what you say or do. So I would say the first most important part of an employee development program is those actual conversations.
0: Hmm. I love that because that that ties into one of my pet peeves, which is, I I call it the the employee of the month plaque that you see at some (laughs) poorly run fast food restaurants that they're they're lipstick on a pig, right? They don't mean anything. And the employees know they don't mean anything because as you just said, it's very simply about, am I having those conversations? Am I allowing my team to express what they're feeling, what they're going through, issues that they have? Am I creating those opportunities to communicate? Is that, is that fair?
1: Yeah. I think sometimes as employers, we, we talk to one or two people and we get a sense of how they're feeling out of mm. maybe the 10 or 15 that we have. And we project all of their feelings onto everybody else. Well, right. person A and person B said this, so everybody must feel that way. And that's not necessarily the case. And often- but, but I might
0: say that because I'm like, well, I, I can't get through all 20 employees might be my, uh, my excuse, yeah?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's probably a legitimate excuse, but it still doesn't change the fact that we're projecting two, two opinions on 15 people. So if you wanna get a better defined position of where your employees are at, what they're thinking, you actually probably need to talk to more of the two of them. But we also probably talk to the two we like best the two who are most aligned with us, the two who we enjoy those conversations with, which might not also give us an accurate representation of how everybody is feeling.
0: Right, right. Because when we do that, we 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 kind of know they're going to tell us what we want to hear, yeah?
1: Right, we probably did it over
0: lunch. Yeah.
1: <laughs> because we actually enjoy lunch with those people and there might be a few people we might not enjoy
0: lunch with. Which further I th- I have found creates even more resentment from those that we're not talking <laughs> <Yeah>. about.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Um, so you've touched on already as to the why, but you, what have you found are the benefits that come from having a more rigorous, formal, whatever however you want to call it, mm. a, a development program in place? What, what do we get from that? Why should I invest in this?
1: So the number one reason people are engaged in your workplace is due to relationship. There's other factors around it, but that relationship, that trust, that loyalty, and that comes from them being known as a person them being known as an individual, you wanna see that relationship between your managers and your employees be very strong. Because without that, that's where the problems come. That's where the miscommunication comes from. So the benefits of having a strong development program is going to be building that relationship, building the role fulfillment within that relationship and really increasing the engagement between the individual with the manager and the company.
0: So that should give me, from an owner's perspective, it should give me two things. It should give me improved or continued productivity so they're doing their jobs well. And second is retention, which is what we're all hoping for is that we don't have to continuously replace and retrain and make another investment in someone. Those are the two things I would like to get out of something like that. Is is there anything else you would add to that?
1: Yeah, and the retention part is is huge. I don't think we actually factor in the costs of...
0: We don't. Yeah. The
1: time versus the turnover.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, what I see what I see, small business owners do as a reaction is that they then don't invest much time in the training or ongoing development because they're like, oh, they're going to leave anyway.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and what if we put all this money into them and, and they, they leave? Well, what if you put all this money into them and they don't leave? You know, what, what have you created from that? Or what if you don't put any money into them and they stay? <laughs>
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and there's so many, there's so many options there. But when you're looking at the development program, there are a few key areas you probably want to build into your system. So the coaching, the development, those one-on-one conversations, the ad hoc, the just the care, the concern, and the um, the mentorship, that's important. But if you're trying to build it into a system, there may be a few things you want to s- Put into the structure of that system.
0: All right. so tell me about that. What are some of those ideas for making it part of my structure, making it more rigorous?
1: So I'm going to give four areas. And these are what I consider the bare bones. Again, innovation, there's constant different opinions on this. But for me, these are the bare bones of, of what makes sense. If your company is one that can provide statistics, so efficiency ratings, customers served, you know, mistakes that were not made or transactions that exceeded a certain amount. If you have those statistics, I always love having those statistics into a development program because it gives a hard facts reason as to what we're looking at.
0: Okay. So it could be that uh, there are stats that my team is responsible for, or maybe myself as an individual I mean, I mean, in sales, for example, Laura, of course, the big stat is, did I achieve my quota or did the right. team achieve its quota? You're talking about those kinds of things?
1: Yeah. So if you have a marketing coordinator, what is your social media engagement looking like? Have they hit targets that you've set for engagement and postings? Um, if you have a person working within a production facility or a manufacturing facility, have they hit the quotas that they've been looking for without error?
0: Right, it could be um, you know uh, lack of injuries on the job. It could be any anything that that person and themselves or part of a team are can impact.
1: Right, and those hard stats are fantastic to to have with the information. Okay. That it's not always possible, uh, depending on the industry. But right. if you can do it, it's a great idea. So the second thing we want is goals and I break down goals into two areas. So supervisor-driven goals and employee-driven goals because the supervisor is going to have more of a strategic overlook of what this individual needs and they're able to provide that input as to this is what I believe we should work towards and how do you feel about that. The employee-driven goals might be more passion, um, more of the ideas of what they want to work towards in their career or what goals they have within their own job. And you'll be able to see a little bit more about who they are and what type of individual they want to be within your organization.
0: Yeah. Let me talk about that one for a moment because it interests me in particular. I think in the corporate world, you know, we, we know that employees know to and, and uh, supervisors, those, even though they're quote unquote individual goals, they're still related to how does it benefit the corporation. hmm I have found that with small business, in in my experience, if you will be realistic that, especially in retail, let's say, where we're a lot of times employing younger people, where where we know those people are not going to necessarily be with us for 20, 30 years. In fact, nowadays, there aren't many positions where that's the case. And I found that if we embrace allowing them to, to, to take some time to develop goals that might be completely unrelated to the position that they perform for me, but instead I'm tapping into where they really want to go, where they really want to be five years from now, 10 years from now, that that serves as a great motivator and relationship development tool. What are your thoughts on that?
1: And it all serves towards your employer brand as well. So it goes towards saying who you are as an employer and what people are going to think of you as an employer based off of your, your employees feedback. So it does speak to that absolutely, but if I'm being honest, a lot of the small businesses I know might not have the resources to help people fulfill their, you know, goals of being who knows an international yodeling superstar. Okay, but but why, um, why
0: is that? Why do you think it's because we look at it as I'm going to have to spend money on this? It could be it could be a very simple thing that we allow them. It could be a, a, a it could be just as simply as acknowledging that they're going to do this on their own time, right?
1: Oh, absolutely, or. F- Or giving them the time off to do so without having to take it from a vacation bank or a leave bank. Yeah. Yeah, There's definitely ways to do, to do that. But you find
0: that resistance that small employers still feel like that's a conflict of interest. Yeah.
1: I think when it comes down to dollars and cents, it makes a, a, it's just a limited connection to an individual who has 10 or less people. That being said, I do know some employers who have done that, but It's not often something that I propose off the bat in order to build a coaching and development program.
0: This is Henry Lopez briefly interrupting this episode to invite you to schedule a free business coaching consultation with me. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business goals and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner myself, I understand the challenges you are experiencing, and often it's about helping you ask the right questions to help you make progress towards achieving your goals. Whether it's getting started with your first business or growing your existing small business, I can help you get there. To find out more about my business coaching services and to schedule your free coaching session, just visit thehowabusiness.com or simply text the word bizcoach. B-I-Z coach to 31996. All right, so we've got the stats, we've got goals. What's the third thing?
1: So alignment with company values. You want to make sure that people on your team understand what the culture is of your organization and that you actually are looking for those values within, within each one of them. And I say alignment with company values and a lot of times we think of, you know, the check boxes, good, better, best, or when people give a rating from one to five on how you are with teamwork. And I don't like either of those approaches. I don't think we can really mark people down, mark people's actions down as a number. When I talk about alignment with company vials, it's really just bringing out those opportunities where people excelled, where they said, thank you for doing this. When you acted in this way, it really helped us understand what teamwork meant. Or when you acted this way, we really understood what communication looks like on our team.
0: Okay. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. And and incorporating that into the the coaching, formal review process. Of course, Laura, it starts with, I have to have had the definition of those values for my business to begin with, right?
1: For sure. And it doesn't have, but that definition doesn't have to be intense.
0: Right, right. And I don't have to pay some, you know, some marketing company or anybody else to help me with them. Uh, It can just be a checklist of the things that define our values, right?
1: And it could be three to four things, really, at the end of the day, what is most important to who you are as a business?
0: Love that. Okay, what's the fifth thing?
1: So time for reflection. A lot of times these performance and development conversations can turn into a one-way type of conversation. And I think we all think about that when we think employee review time and everybody runs from employee review time. I don't know very many managers who get excited about employee review time and and a lot of the paperwork that often, you know, we we consider as part of it. But that reflection portion of the performance development conversation that really pushes, and I call it two-way conversation, but at the end of the day, it's really one-way conversation from the employee to the supervisor. That is, in my opinion, one of the most important parts of the development and coaching program. And what you're asking in that aspect of the the reflection portion is, what motivates you? So what have I done as a leader that made you feel appreciated? Or what about the last 12 months? If you think back into the last 12 months, what was the most interesting thing? Or what thing did you, what task, what responsibility did you absolutely love that really drove you and made you more passionate about the work you did. Those performance and management management questions are the ones that are going to give you the inside information into your team, and it's really going to help you become a better leader.
0: You do uh, typically recommend, Laura, a combination of on-the-job coaching. So I think of coaching more of as I'm managing the team or I'm there, or I'm I'm having, I'm teaching my manager to do this mm-hmm. is when they catch, typically when they catch somebody doing something right, you reinforce and you coach. If you see that they're struggling, you you help them with it and you coach them. And then separately is what a lot of, we've been talking about the formal review process at a regular cadence. I'm assuming you you believe that we should have both in place to make up a proper development program?
1: Agree, yes. I think we can't go without the on-the-spot, on-the-job conversations.
0: So give me, um, so let's talk about that one a little bit more. Because you know, the four things that you, I mean, the five, four things, the stats, the goals, alignment with values and reflection. Those can be applied in any in any scenario, but they mm-hmm. certainly apply very well in that formal sit-down review, quarterly conversation, whatever whatever you might call it. And if you're not doing that, you need to start doing some kind of regular sit-down private conversation. Is that what you recommend?
1: Most certainly. And it has to be in line with your current culture. If you try to implement something that is grandiose and you can't follow through with it, it's, it's not gonna be within an intent it's not going to show the integrity of who you are as a manager or the business. It has to be done with consistency. Yeah.
0: Now, great. So now when we're talking about on the spot as the day is working, coaching, any tips or thoughts, things that you've seen that work well so that either I, myself as a business owner, or as we develop our managers to give them as tips to do coaching well.
1: I think when we think about, you know, especially the younger workforce um, millennials, Gen Z, we we give them a bit of a bad rap. Uh, We think they're stuck behind a technology. We think they're stuck behind a screen when really millennials, the Gen Z, they really crave that human connection. So coaching is more about, like you said, catching them doing something right or guiding them to an alternate option of how you want something done if if it's not the correct way or the best way. But we often overlook those small moments, thinking we're going to go back to it or thinking it's not the right time. But if we start having that culture of communication, where it's not unusual to stop and say, hey, thanks for doing it, or could you do it this way instead, I think we'll find that it starts becoming ingrained in who we are. If we avoid those small two-minute conversations, we're going to continue avoiding it. It's going to become a routine and a habit as a manager.
0: And I think I've given this a lot of thought on the whole, you know, millennials, Gen Z, whatever, wanting it more, wanting to be praised more. Here's my thought on it, Laura. I think that, you know, I'm 57, so I'm right at the end of the baby boomers. I think our generation wanted it just as much. We just were never empowered to ask for it or demand (laughs) it, you know. But I think it's human nature to be given that positive reinforcement. It's just that that's just not the way it was done. But 100%. now this generation has been empowered to say, "You know what we're we're not going to stand for that we We want this and need this connection and feedback. What do you think?
1: Yes, and I've seen a few different um, articles on you know what it is that millennials want, what it is that Gen Z wants, and then comparing it to what what the baby boomers want, and it's the same it's thing It's the
0: same thing. We just didn't we just were too afraid to ask for it or demand it.
1: Absolutely. And so, I think the way that we would like like that. Um, the motivation, the encouragement is also, it's not just one size fits all. And I think that's where that coaching um, or the positive feedback has to, you really have to kind of think and dig a bit deeper. So there might be somebody who, you know, doesn't mind being called out with just, Hey, can you do it this way instead? No problem. Your next individual. Okay. Can you do it this way instead? Personally offended is embarrassed, can't believe that you called them out in front of somebody else. It is a very individual thing how we coach our employees. And again, that goes back to understanding who they are.
0: Right. And I'm not going to know that unless I've had individual conversations with them on a regular basis to get to know who they are.
1: Right. One of the things I always love asking in those one-on-one conversations is, is like I mentioned, how how do you feel motivated? What are the things that you know I could do to help you feel appreciated on the job. Gary Chapman wrote a book called uh, five Lovel- The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace. And it kind of was a jump off from the five love languages uh, for relationships. But when you understand that there's different ways that you probably feel motivated or feel appreciated, then you can understand that other people feel the same way. So most people, they don't mind the pat on the back, thanks so much, I appreciate it. Other people, you know, that's all they need. Mm-hmm somebody might feel even more appreciated if there was a company-wide email sent. Hey, I just wanted to thank so-and-so for going above and beyond in this, in this area. Person number two, absolutely mortified that you would send out that type of email. And then for myself, you know, if someone bought me a gift, like just left a coffee or left, you know, some sort of token of appreciation, I think that's nice. Thanks. But it wouldn't resonate with me to the same extent that if you know, a supervisor or a coworker said, hey, would you like to go grab lunch together? That quality time for me means a lot more than a gift that somebody could leave. Meanwhile, the person who left the gift thinks they poured their heart and soul into this thought and that I should feel appreciated from it, but it just doesn't, it just doesn't land in the same way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So the same way that we think about appreciation in the workplace, we have to think about constructive feedback.
0: Right. Okay. So I I buy into all of that. The challenge, Laura, is that's a lot of work. You know, what you just described means I got to put in a heck of a lot more effort as a manager or a supervisor or an owner yeah. than I may have had to in the past, as as we just talked about, right? So what, what, what do you say to that?
1: I would say it is a lot of work. It 100% is a lot of work. And I have yet to find any organization, large or small, that does this correctly 100% of the time. It is also a work in progress. We are always doing our best to become better individuals, better team members, better managers. And opposed to taking this as, you know, eating the whole pizza in one bite, let's think about it in bite-sized pieces. What can we do today that will further help us be a better coach and manager to our team? Maybe it's just calling somebody into our office to say, "Hey, thank you for, you know, helping out with that customer when you when it was time for you to go home." Maybe it's stopping by somebody's workstation and asking them how their their evening was. It's just making those small connections. Let's not eat the pizza in one whole bite. Let's find the little areas that we can we can find to connect with our people in order to build that relationship
0: but you would would you suggest combining that and I completely agree in my experience, taking it a step at a time, but combining it with some kind of formal cadence to when we sit down whether our employees were for a more formal review or conversation
1: i uh, i would and the re- the review is tough i uh I always like to combine the goal setting with the alignment with company values. When we think about, you know, review, we absolutely do need to look back, but I think there's so much more importance in looking forward. Okay. Let's talk about those coaching moments, the in the moment coaching as our opportunity to realign actions that aren't yet where we need them to be. Mm-hmm. And our development program, our formal development program can be a lot more forward focused If we're having those small two minute conversations on the fly on the, on the floor.
0: Yeah. I think, what you know, what I see happening, Laura, is we think we're, we're small enough that a, we don't have the time. We don't need that. That's something that big corporations do. Uh, Everybody kind of knows what I want to need from them. So we, we kind of begin to make those assumptions And I find that that ends up undermining the culture then and keeps it from being able to grow because we're making those assumptions that everybody understands what I'm looking (laughs) for from them.
1: Because we've replayed the conversation 18 times in our head, talked about it seven times with our leadership team and our people on the floor, on the front line, have only heard it once. And we Mm -hmm. don't understand why they can't really grasp what's in our head in the same manner.
0: Yeah. All right, before we wrap up on this deep dive I know you have got some thoughts and tips on how to deal with and how to coach a problem employee, a difficult employee, an underperforming employee. What are your thoughts there?
1: So facts and fairness is is what I would say off the top. What sometimes happens when we have an underperforming employee is we get this tunnel vision and all we see is that person and what they're doing wrong. And sometimes it may not be, it may not be fair from the sense of holding them more accountable than we might hold their counterparts who we haven't got caught in the tunnel vision. So the first thing I said, make sure that we're not overly focused on this one individual. But the second thing is with an underperforming or difficult employee, it has to be facts and it has to be timely. So we can't go back to the underperforming employee for things that they did three months ago and expect them to take it to heart. In fact, what I found with underperforming or, or difficult employees is, is they don't take much to heart. When you bring things forward to them, they often, they, their back gets up and rightly so. Our, our, most of us have our back, get our backs up, but it doesn't sink in. And so when it comes to those conversations, it has to be on paper. Mm-hmm. They have to see that this is a conversation that is very important and that we've, it's so important. In fact, we've written it down on paper so that you know that these are the issues that we need you to take to heart as well.
0: Yeah. A couple additional thoughts there, Laura, is that, you know, the timely component that you mentioned, I think is so critical. It's critical because if, and and I, and I get it, why we let it go. It's a confrontation for a lot of us and we don't want to have it. And so we want to keep ignoring it sometimes, but it totally undermines and destroys your culture because especially in a small environment, because everybody else picks up on that, that that's acceptable, that that Mm -hmm. behavior or low performance is acceptable. I'm sure you've found that as well.
1: Yeah. And a lot of people say sandwich the feedback and I hate sandwiching feedback.
0: Sandwich the feedback. I don't know what that means. So
1: sandwich the feedback, you know, something good that they've done, what Ah, you need them to work on and then finish it off with, you know, how much we appreciate and love who they are. And oftentimes, especially with an underperforming or difficult employee, sandwiching feedback does not work. All they hear is I'm great. Oh, they said something in the middle and they still love me. (laughs) And that's all that you get. And you say, I've had three conversations. Why is this person not getting it? Well, they heard the bread and they didn't get the meat. Sometimes with these conversations, you have to come straight at it and be very succinct, very straight to the point and have it on paper.
0: Have it on paper. The habit on paper is a key component because That's what then leads you to effectively terminating this employee if they're not going to correct their actions after you've reviewed it with them and given them um, what they, you know, explicit instructions on what they need to do. Because that's the other big thing that we do as small business owners is we drag our feet on getting rid Mm -hmm. of people who are not a fit.
1: Yeah. And then when eventually, if unfortunately they do have to become terminated because the behavior doesn't change, they actually have a... Uh, records of all the times that you talk to them about the same thing versus, you know, all they got was sandwiched feedback and now they don't have a job and they have no clue what happened along the way, despite how much pain and suffering you've gone through trying to manage the situation.
0: That's right. That's right. So, you know, one of the ways I want to summarize this, because it's, it's one of the beliefs I have, I think that when an employee doesn't perform or we have to terminate someone, we have to, in part, it, it, it simply can be they were the wrong fit. And, but immediately what we have to do as employers is look at our process, our systems, our program, and see where we may have failed that employee. Where can we improve to either A, not have hired that person because maybe we could have identified that they were not going to be a fit, or more importantly, where did we fail that employee in the way of systems, tools, development, so that maybe mm-hmm. we could have had them do a better job?
1: And I think oftentimes when employers terminate somebody, there's there's two schools of thought. One, as you just said, is ha- have I done my absolute best to make sure that this is on them and not on me? Have I given them the tools and resources they need? But the other kind of school of thought is people just say, well, they just didn't fit the bill, they didn't cut it, and that's on them. And I don't think that's the right approach. It can be an approach, but I don't know if it's the right approach at the end of the day that's going to help build your employer brand to know that you're a top company who people will want to work for.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that. That's been my experience as well. All right, let's uh, start to wrap it up. Uh, Tell me more or summarize for us the the services that you offer through Essential HR, but also I think you have a special download. So tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so with Essential HR, we ideally work with uh, customers and, and clients, businesses who are five to 50 people. A lot of times, these individual businesses don't have the requirement really to have a full time HR person on board, but they do need the support and they'd love to have somebody who they can call or email to guide their management teams and leadership teams through tough employee situations walk them through training processes, um, even build up some of their HR structures. So the first service offering we have is is monthly partnerships. So our partnerships actually start at five hours a month. So for a small business who just needs that additional support on different items or um, guidance through different sticky employment situations. But we also do project work such as job descriptions, recruitment flows, onboarding, building performance management systems. So that's how we help small businesses And I actually have a a download that will help with employers who are looking to really start that two-way conversation, that reflection with their employee teams. And you can find that at www.essentialhr.ca slash the how.
0: Wonderful. And we'll have that uh, link on the show notes page of this episode as well, if you didn't get to write that down. We'll mention it again on the end of the episode as well. So be sure to take advantage of that. I've always found that those kind of checklists are a great way to get started. And also, as you said, taking this a step at a time, don't get bogged down now with creating this big formal process, trying to copy some kind of corporate way of doing this. Like Laura said, take it a bite size at a time. Um, So that these kind of checklists, this download that she has helps with that to get you Mm -hmm. started. And if nothing else, to facilitate that next conversation, right?
1: Yeah, there may be some questions in there that you probably couldn't answer on behalf of your people. And Mm -hmm. those are great ones to start asking today.
0: Yeah, that's a good test. I'm always looking for book recommendations. Uh, You've mentioned a couple already. Is there a book that comes to mind that you would recommend?
1: Yeah. So I am reading Profit First by Mike Michalowicz, <laughs> but you had him on the show a few weeks ago. So I feel like that's a little bit of a cheat. So I'm going <laughs> to offer up a great book, which I mentioned, which is Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace by Gary Chapman. It's a very easy read, very enlightening.
0: Five Languages of Appreciation. Got it. Wonderful. Thanks for that recommendation. I have not read that. We'll have that on the show notes page as well. All right, let's wrap it up, Laura. What's, what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation we had about developing and coaching employees in our small business?
1: So start today. Is there one, one conversation you can have, one two-minute you know, connection that you can make with a team member that perhaps is, isn't, is out of the norm for you? Start with those baby steps and find out what makes your people tick so that you can really build those relationships and build that loyalty and engagement.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what I took away from it as well from our conversations is start small. I, I love that tip always because that's what paralyzes us with anything new that we're implementing as it becomes this huge project and that's not what we're saying here, a step at a time. And, and then I, what I do, what I would challenge people is to just put together a calendar for the next six months to 12 months and schedule out a conversation with each of your employees if that's possible. Mm -hmm. Or have your managers do that, whomever is going to be directly leading your team. Those simple little steps, I think, will get you a long way to what Laura has talked about, which is at the heart of it, it's about communication.
1: Agreed, yeah. All right,
0: tell us again where you want us to go online to find out more.
1: So you can find me at Essential HR Canada on LinkedIn or EssentialHR.ca.
0: Laura, great conversation. Thanks for sharing all these tips and insights. uh, And thanks for being with me today on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: This is Henry Lopez and thanks for listening to this episode of The Howa Business. My guest today again was Laura Tolhook. We release new episodes every Monday morning and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and at our website, thehowabusiness.com or you can just text the word biz, B I Z to 31996. Thanks for listening.